Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today we're going to get straight into our conversation with Hillsborough County education reporter Marlene Sokol, who's had a lot of activity going on in her school system. Let's just get started. So Marlene, it's been a hectic week for you in Hillsborough County, and so we're going to focus on that on this week's podcast, and I'm glad that you are ready to share all your wisdom with us. I wouldn't call it wisdom, but it's great to be back. I want to start off with one of the bigger issues, which is the school district and the teachers union squaring off over their raises, because we've seen across the country school systems, entire states, fighting with their legislatures over funding and over pay. And here in Hillsborough County, the eighth largest school district in the country, they're not talking about striking. They're t- they're battling in front of a magistrate. What's that all about? Well, um, the magistrate's recommendation, first of all, it's non-binding. So it's a propaganda victory for whichever side prevails. <clears throat> but this has been a very serious conflict raging for almost a year now. Officially, negotiations were supposed to have begun last May 1st. So we really are talking almost a year The teachers do not appear to be getting a raise, and roughly one-third of them would have been entitled to a $4,000 raise because their their pay stays the same for three years, and then it goes up in the fourth year, depending on when you entered the system. So for two days, um, both sides presented their cases before a special magistrate. Um, He was very thorough. I was very impressed by him. Although they gave him a lot of information, he asked for a lot more information, which was impressive. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that the school district, which used two attorneys, they made a very strong case because the, the two main issues here are, do you have the money, A, and B, do the teachers deserve the money when, when you compare their earnings to, to those in other districts? I, I think the school district made... A very strong case. Um, however, I, I also think this is an example of where you can win the battle, but not the war. And by that, I mean to say a lot of teachers are very angry. They are being very outspoken in their anger and in their frustration. My Twitter feed has been blowing up. Um, they, they, they're, you know, they, they don't like the position that the district has put them through. They feel that the district has gone back on, on, on a promise made to them. And so although I think the district scored some good points in these hearings, the way they did it, and I can go into more details, um, really did not build any goodwill with their teachers. And let's face it, teachers are by far your most important asset when, when you are trying to be a school system. Another example of winning the battle but not the war, the school district used the example twice, both in the Monday session and Wednesday session, of the best and brightest scholarships. They made the point that Hillsborough teachers have received a lot of scholarship money from the state. By happy coincidence, it adds up to $17 million, which is almost to the penny 
the same amount of money that they were expecting to get in raises with the district. Now, a lot of teachers and union leaders, they don't like best and brightest. They don't like the way it's calculated. They don't like the fact that some of their members do not qualify. For example, if you're a media specialist or I think a guidance counselor, so for a number of reasons, the teachers unions do not like best and brightest, but the district kept bringing that up and saying as if to say, look, you know, you may have lost your raise on one hand, but you got the money back through best and brightest. So that offended quite a few teachers who were following the proceedings. So why is it then if the teachers are so upset that they are not walking out the way that we've seen in other states? That I'm not sure. Um, Their leadership has not encouraged them to. Uh, Of course, you know, they could lose their jobs and their certification if they do. I don't know that the district would really push it that far. But honestly, I cannot answer that. I don't know why they have not been encouraged to walk out. They've been encouraged to do what they have been doing, things like appearing before the school board and taking their case to the school board, which they have done faithfully at every school board meeting. That, however, I think has made a lot of teachers even more frustrated because they get up, they're given two minutes to speak. You know, everybody else who goes to the school board can pretty much blather on for as long as they like. The teachers, they get their two minutes. Sometimes they're very emotional. Sometimes they're actually crying tears. I can't pay my credit card bills. I can't put my child through college. And then after two months, I'm sorry, after two minutes, the mic is cut off. And so it's very contentious down there. They're outside, you know, protesting with cowbells and bullhorns. It's very noisy there. And there's a feeling that the school board and the superintendent are not respectful of them. And that feeling is true. Some of these school board members, you know, they don't like each other, so they tell on each other. So what I'm hearing is they go into the back room and they say things like, I can't stand these teachers. And so But they're being encouraged to protest that way and not to walk out on the job. Are the teachers winning then in the court of public opinion? Are the community members seeing what's going on to their teachers and and saying, you know, we back them and the school district should do more for them? Uh, Some are and some aren't. And I don't have an accurate gauge on public opinion. I, I will say among the ranks of teachers, You know, my my favorite focus group, I I volunteer at a soccer program every Saturday, and it's about a thousand people and it's crawling with teachers. And I asked them, how are things going? And most teachers are very dissatisfied with the way they're being treated by the school district. Um, So the public at large, I don't know that parents or students really know or care But I think it's safe to say that among the rank and file of teachers, there is a lot of dissatisfaction, even among the ones who were not due for a raise this year. They see what's happening next year. They did their financial planning, in some cases their family planning. You'll hear teachers say, you know, I timed when I was going to have my next child based on, you know, when I would get my raise, when my husband would get his raise. So there, there, there is a lot of dissatisfaction, and I think ultimately that, ha- that, that has got to have an impact on what's going on in the classroom. As dedicated as teachers are, some are very demoralized, and some of them are leaving 
for school districts like Pinellas, which offer a higher starting pay. It's interesting, though, because I've heard board members say that they don't want to, say, hold a tax referendum until they have more public support. I know that there are three school board seats up for re-election in the fall, and so it could be that we'll find out then whether all this is having an impact with the teachers on, on the parents and the general public, I guess. You know, I wish I could say that the voters are go- are, are going to decide, but turnout for school board races is so low, especially the August race. Um, I, I, I don't know how many people in the public really know who their school board representative is or, you know, and even teachers historically have not turned out in high enough numbers to really affect a school board election. So it's easy to say the voters will decide, but I think the reality is, you know, it's a down ballot election and, you know, and that August one, it comes and goes and and people don't even know that they have a chance to decide a school board race. And in the meantime, though, the school board will have already probably acted on this impasse hearing. The magistrate who you have over there, Mark Lurie, is the same one who we had in Pasco County a year ago. And he asked a lot of questions then, too. And he did come down on the side of the school district, which had offered lower raises than the teachers had been asking for, basically saying that, you know, the you have to take into account things such as operating fund balances and reserve accounts and and all those other kinds of things that, you know, the teachers wanted to kind of dip into. And I don't know if that leads us to any conclusions as to what he's going to say this time around, but at least you can get a sense of how he thought in that one and how he might think in this one. Yeah, and it was an interesting point that the union made, um, and the, the union made some very good points. I do not think this was their strongest one. They had an analyst from um, FEA, the Florida Education Association, who went through the budgets year by year and tried to show, yes, at the end of every year, there is money left over. There is money that's not spent. And he was looking specifically at the capital reserves. Now, you know, then you have to ask yourself, okay, why is there money in the capital reserves? And to me, one obvious reason is, well, they they have to build things. They, they, They are committed to building a high school in South County where there is a lot of growth that's going to cost something like $60 million and it takes more than a year to build it and you have to save up for it. So, and the, and the district did not really come back and make this point, but you know, what they did ask the, the, the union expert was, well, what do you think we should do? Should we stop building things so that we can give raises to the teachers? And, you know, so that, that's an important point in a, in a budget of $3 billion, there is always money there. You know, the teachers are asking, you know, let, let's say it's between $20 million and $50 million, depending on whose estimate you believe. There's always money there. The question is, yes, but is it prudent to use that money for a recurring expense like a teacher's raise? And so, yeah, Mr. Lurie, Magistrate Lurie, he's asked for a lot of follow-up information um, the second issue, which the two sides had a, opposing, you know, arguments and studies on, is are the teachers overpaid and underpaid? And of course, the district produced a salary survey to show that Hillsborough teachers are—I'm not going to say overpaid because nobody's overpaid—but at or near the very top of the scale. The union 
They did a different type of calculation, an hourly calculation. They factored in the fact that Hillsborough teachers work a longer school day, and so they said that the Hillsborough teachers are underpaid. So I, it stands to reason the magistrate will look at the opposing studies and, and the opposing data on that as well. I wonder how this is all going to play out in the union's effort to try and keep its membership above 50% eligibility, which is that new state requirement. I wonder if them fighting this is causing teachers to say, hey, the union supports us and maybe they'll be able to avoid a time-consuming recertification process. Yeah, if they if they come back with nothing... I, yes, that could be a problem for them. Their numbers could drop below 50%, although they say their numbers have been climbing. But I, I don't know what their exact numbers are. Um, and yeah, that's also an issue that, that, that every union, every teacher's union in Florida needs to look at is, is whether they could have to petition for recertification. So let's switch gears. You also spend a lot of time with students. And I really loved your story about these high achieving students who are battling these protest rallies to get gun control and school safety. And you met some interesting kids who had some interesting dilemmas between being political activists and keeping their grades up. Keeping their grades up and also not getting suspended. Um, it was interesting that in the last round of protests, the National Walkout Day, um, you know, administrations, at least in Hillsborough, really discourage students from walking out. They tried to contain these walkouts to a brief amount of time and don't leave campus. They were very concerned about testing. It was a testing day for seniors, and they did not want to disrupt instruction. And students were very frustrated. They, they felt like their voices were not being heard. They felt that administration was trying to silence them. So it was an interesting dilemma for them because, for the most part, these are very high-achieving students, so they're the kind of kids that are not used to getting in trouble. They're, they're not used to getting suspended or threatened with a suspension. And um, Plant High School, <clears throat> that was an example where, you know, they had a very difficult situation. They had pro-gun people at one end of campus, anti-gun people at the other end. They don't like when I say anti-gun. They say, you know, they're in favor of, you know, sensible gun regulations, whatever. But, you know, this principal had to prevent something that, that could have turned into violence. And so there are videos of him where he's threatening to suspend them. And, you know, and that's not good for business either. Well, I saw the, AC, I saw the ACLU had sent out letters to all superintendents around the state reminding them that students' rights don't dissipate at the schoolhouse door, that, you know, they should be allowed to say certain things and do certain things and stand up for gathering as they wish. And um, I don't know if they were able to do that or not, because a lot of schools where we heard things were going to happen, things really just didn't happen. Some, I, I spoke to some of the students, um, and one in particular from Sickles High, <clears throat> who kind of threw up her hands and said, look, the administration put so many restrictions on us that we just said it's not worth it. You know, to go out to the flagpole for 10 minutes with no microphones and, and talk amongst ourselves on a testing day, you, you know, you kind of do the calculation and say, can we make enough of an impact given the constraints placed upon us? And so, yes, there were some schools that just canceled their events. I think um, 
you know, two big questions for the kids looking ahead to next year. Number one, are there enough lower classmen who can take over? Because so many of these student leaders are seniors, they're going to be off to college. So is there enough of a secession? And I know that the seniors who I've spoken to, they're trying very hard to back away and let the juniors and the sophomores get involved and get into leadership roles. But you know, also, are the students willing to, to do a little bit of civil disobedience and, and get in trouble? Again, these are kids who, who have spent their entire school career doing the right thing. And so, it, it, you know, this whole student movement, it will be interesting to follow it, you know, through this election cycle and then beyond and, 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 and see if it sticks around long enough to affect some change. I wonder if them getting in trouble would make a good essay topic for them entering college. Sure. Oh, no, it does. If you're the young lady at Plant who's already been accepted into Yale, or if you're, you know, some of these, some of the students really don't have anything to lose. And depending on what, in, what university they go to, you know, they come in as a hero. But again, if it were my child, I don't know if I would want my child to be arrested or suspended. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is not really in their DNA. Again, these are students who have made it as far as they have by doing the right thing and by being responsible. So, But this is all so new that, that, that we don't know where it's going to lead. I know there have been a lot of other activities going on in, in your world. Is there anyone that you want to pick? I picked the first two. Really, I think I'm, I'm looking at the teacher pay now to see what's going to happen and, and, to, see, and to see what happens next. Um, they have a hard no, but they, they didn't really consider it a hard no because they were in this impasse process. And now we'll wait several weeks for the decision from, from Mr. Lurie. He, he said, given all, all the complexity, it might take longer than 10 days. And what I would like to see is for Jeff Akins, the superintendent, to really get out in front of this issue of teacher pay. Because then the question is, what happens next year? Right now, according to the calendar, they're really just a few days away from the expectation that they will bargain for the 18-19 year. Yeah, since they haven't finished bargaining for the year that they're in, so what happens next year? How long does their pay remain frozen? And at what point does the school district sit down in the sunshine with the union in good faith and say, let's take a new look at this pay plan. You know, is it, is it reasonable Can, or is it, or is it fiction? And I, I, I do think they have to address the issue of teacher pay and expectations. I, I was on the phone this morning with a school board member who used the phrase managing expectations. She, she wants to see um, Mr. Akins do a better job of managing expectations. He has to manage expectations of the teachers and I, I, or the morale will continue to get worse. And so that's what I'm waiting for, to see what they're going to do about their relationship with their biggest asset, which is their classroom teachers. It seems like they also have to do some better management in other areas, too. They're on their third administrative plan now for how to take care of what seems to be a growing number of schools that are not performing super well on the state test, which is how they 
rate them these days. I don't think the number of schools that are not performing well is growing as much as the the expectations from the state. Um, you know, the whole system of of turnaround schools ha- has really been accelerated on the state's level. But but yeah, they they for a long time they have had they have needed to address particularly schools in East Tampa and Sulphur Springs, but also also in places like Claremel and Mango. And, you know, they have a lot of schools scattered within the district where kids are not reading where they should and where their skills are not where they should be. Yes, three reorganizations in four years. That's a lot. They have also a little bit come full circle on the issue of do we create a separate department for our struggling schools or do, or do or do we just treat them all the same and have our eight area superintendents be responsible for them? So now the superintendent, he wants to do something similar to what Miami day does and create a rather large achievement zone. And this would be a separate zone. It might have a lot of schools in it. It might have 30 or 40 schools. If it's going to include everything that the state has designated as a turnaround school, That is a huge undertaking. It will cost money. We're almost at the end of the school year. Um, And so, and the details have not been worked out yet. And he's been very candid on the fact that there are no details yet. This is the beginning of a conversation. So we'll see where that goes. And there's a lot of skepticism surrounding it because there have been so many false starts already in respect to, you know, the struggling schools. It just seems like that's one of the areas where they haven't gotten a handle on it and other school districts have to a larger extent. Yep, Miami-Dade. But it, it took a few tries for Miami-Dade. Um, I believe it was begun under um, Rudy Crew, and then it ran into financial problem. And then it, then it was, um, I guess, you know, resuscitated by Mr. Carvalho, Dr. Carvalho. So, you know, it is a big thing. I don't know how you do it at a time of dwindling resources. Um, The other wild card is we don't know how many of the seven schools that that the state has designated as turnaround are going to be taken over by an outside operator in July. Um, Akins is hoping none of them will, but but we just don't know. Um, But Yeah, I would agree that as long as Hillsborough County has pockets of schools and pockets of the population where where literacy is is low, where where students are reading at level one, you know, as long as we have large pockets of that, then no, the, the school district is not doing what it needs to do. And his very first days on the job, this superintendent said, this is what matters. And if, if we are in this business, this is what we need to focus on. And, and there have been a number of false starts. And he would deny that they're false starts. He would say we have learned lessons along the way and we've developed systems that we need in order to accomplish these goals. In the, I'll keep this question short, but in the debate over school board seats, has there been any Has there been any discussion about how many chances and how long he actually gets? He has, well, he has a contract that runs through 2020 and and can be extended for two years. Or bought out. Or bought out. Um, Yeah, I I don't hear a lot of clamoring for him to be bought out or fired or anything like that. I'm not hearing anything like that. I, now the school board members, they don't, they don't all confide in me. Most of them do not. But 
I don't hear a lot of dissatisfaction specifically with the superintendent. And keeping in mind that this is still at least half of this school board is the very same school board that fired Mary Ellen Elia and hired Mr. Aikens without a national search. So until now, the, the thinking has been, you know, we need each other. And if, and if we were to throw him under the bus, then, then we look terrible. But he's still very popular. I, I have not really heard any clamoring to, to replace him. So uh, I'm not hearing anything like that. Okay. Well, Marlene, um, we've hit our time. So <laughs> I always love having these conversations with you. These podcasts could last for an hour or longer, I'm sure. But we'll cut it, we'll cut it short and come back again when, when you have more exciting stuff. All right. I look forward to it. Thank you very much, Jeff. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in this or any other conversation that we've had, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To follow the latest breaking news on Florida education issues, visit our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. And please don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you find it. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.